Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. Now, this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. Dun, 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 what up welcome to or whatever movies i'm your co-host iris and i'm here with my older brother oh wesley and today we're discussing it the final entry in christopher mccrory month tom cruise saves the movies again in mission impossible dead reckoning part one Terminator Dead Reckoning. Or is that a comparison of the entity to Skynet? Weren't you waiting the whole time for someone to pull off a mask and like pull a mask off someone and there's an android underneath? (laughs) No, but that would have been really cool. I think that's what we're coming to. All the advanced tech in Mission Impossible making these things possible. I think the entity is going to use all these tools, a learning supercomputer, and just like mess with them at every turn. I fully expected at least Mantis to be a bot. Mantis? You yeah. mean? Palm Clementif or whatever. Oh, right. Paris. Yeah, yeah. Played by Palm Clementif. Yeah, that's what I said. Are they supposed to be scarier bad guys if they're like weird in kabuki masks? It's an international villain thing. It's an international villain that international villains are always just kind of funky and weird. I, I feel like. Scary Euro. <laughs> Skiro? Yep. Indiana Jones and the Dead Reckoning. Uh, Mission Impossible, the Top Ma- Top Gun Maverick reunion. Yeah, two times <laughs> over. And those two times include, is his name really Greg Tarzan? Oh, Greg that, Tarzan Davis. Name. Coyote. Um, Coyote, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, why did they get the poor man Coyote? <laughs> and then I was like, wait a second, that is Coyote. Yeah, man. They did a really good job disguising him. Even though he has such distinctive face and, and features. Yeah, and Warlock, you, you know the second you look at him. I thought Warlock was just playing Warlock. I mean, that's his deal. Uh, it was, it's nice to see Tom Cruise bring his peeps along with him. You know what's crazy is that the only indication of how long this movie was was that my butt kept hurting in the uncomfortable IMAX seat and I kept shifting. But I was never really not riveted. 
Yes, this movie has a velocity that is to be reckoned with. Get it? Ah, good one. Two hours and 43 minutes flew by. The longest mission to date. Wow, really? Yep, it beat Fallout by something like 15 or 20 minutes. It's like five hours long if you count Dead Reckoning Part 2, I assume. Which is fascinating because there are a lot of talky moments in this film. There are a lot of scenes that are just people talking in a room for a long time and dispensing a ton of information. However, they're welcomed breaks from just the relentless action. Yeah, some of the criticism of Mission Impossible had been the convoluted plot. And so I really sat forward and I was like, well, we got to discuss this. I have to pay really close attention. And so I feel like I was in step with this one. There were a couple times when I got lost because there are so many people. The Entity Summit, where they're all sitting around in the back of the club or whatever, and you're mm-hmm. like trying to figure out who's got the upper hand. That's when I started to lose it a little bit. But mm-hmm. uh, otherwise, I was really focused. And did it pay off? Absolutely. No, I didn't feel cheated or lost or anything like that. That's pretty impressive because every single scene, including the Entity Summit, as you put it, all of the action set pieces, there are at least three parties chasing some configuration of another party. That's the new thing, I think, for Mission Impossible. I think it's what Tom Cruise and McHugh, the subject of our Christopher McQuarrie month, This is what they do now. There are always parallel missions running at the same time and thus parallel chases. The team is broken up and they all have their objectives and they're trying to do different things at once, i.e. Benji this time trying to dismantle a nuclear bomb in the airport while Tom Cruise is dicking around with Grace. (laughs) Why was there just immediate sexual energy and tension between Ethan and Grace? Because we needed there to be. By the end of the movie, he was like, my life will never be more important than yours. And if you hurt her, I swear I will track you to the ends of the earth and do whatever is necessary to kill you. And she needed to be on board really quickly because, I mean, she was just, I think he was, he must have been projecting Ilsa on her or something. Yeah. It was a little, I felt like you in particular would have taken umbrage with the kind of all too convenient replacement of the Ilsa character with Grace. Like you love Ilsa and you expected that this was the opportunity now, now that his wife was all set up with Wes Bentley, that they could finally, you know, consummate their movies long sexual tension. Yeah, I really thought so. And now I think that they just killed Julia Offs because there are so many women. There'd be like a line at the ladies room. There, how many Bond girls can we have in one Mission Impossible? <laughs> so you mean and, they just need to thin the ranks? Is that what you're saying? Right. And I'm aware they didn't actually kill Julia, but for all intents and purposes, she is dead in the franchise. Stuck with some dude named Wes in the mountains. I mean, I do think the Grace character is a good character. She's an exceptional pickpocket or putpocket. And that was, I guess, the defining aspect of her character and why I guess she would make a good recruit. But... More than her ability was McHugh and the film team's ability to make those pick and put pockets, make them translate on screen, make them apparent. Mm. Like pickpocketing Mm -hmm. is one thing to do it on screen in a way that it's obvious and that we're following it while making it look stealthy and legitimate is really cool. Mm, Yeah, they're balancing a whole bunch of different elements. Like you would do transfers and you'd see them each one and be like, oh, there it goes. That said, Grace betrays him countless times she's like yeah. phoebe Waller-Bridge in indiana jones and the dial of destiny spoiler yep, i was just gonna say <laughs> how many times can she cross it right 
and I just it's hard I don't know why the main characters the the Ethan Hunts and the Indiana Joneses of the world continue to forgive these people that's his thing man this is Ethan Hunt's thing first movie he bedded his boss's wife even though they cut that out of the movie there was a thief in in the second one Julia was too nice and too normal so he had to get rid of her uh, Ilsa is the roguingest agent I've ever seen. Like she just <laughs> won't stay away. She's like, she he's won't. like, you're safe, you're out, and she's like, I'm back, and like shrugging at him and stuff. This is his thing. Nice moment he, on the boat, though, or no, in the car. Yeah, in the in the gondola too. Yeah, it's his it's his vibe. He's got a fa- he's got a type. There's a matchmaking happening between Ethan Hunt, Ethan Hunt and Grace. I thought that the chemistry was palpable, which makes for nice, you know, on-screen dynamics. And she was very capable. Um, it was weird that they kind of swapped wardrobe, like when he's in his lawyer outfit and they're doing the car chase. And then she puts on basically the female version of the lawyer outfit for yep. the Venice street fights. And, and a, a, a fan also paralleled that with Mission Impossible 1, where Tom Cruise is in his gray suit. And Jim Phelps, the betraying John Voight, was in the black like parachute outfit uh, as he with the goggles when he was being picked up by uh, Leon on the helicopter. And then in this one, Tom Cruise was in the parasail suit with the goggles and Haley Atwell was in his gray business suit. Oh, weird. In the train, on the train. It was weird. That is weird, right? I don't know. There's all these weird movie universe collisions. Like it, it was also kind of boggling my mind that there was the subway, like the car in the subway versus the horse in the subway in Dial of Destiny. And then there was the big train set piece in Mission Impossible. Yeah. The Tuk Tuk versus the Fiat. Like, did they coordinate this? And, and obviously we're going into a Mission Impossible movie, we're looking for the elaborate set pieces. Do you think that they kind of blew it? I mean, I guess promotion. But do you think they blew it by, by kind of showing the motorcycle cliff jump? Uh, no. Really? Because, I mean, I've seen that clip in that trailer dozens of times by now so mm-hmm. it can't help but be, but be a little anticlimactic when it finally mm-hmm. happens on screen what i liked about that scene that was unexpected was the humor in it because the trailer is pretty intense it's like dun, 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 and like all of these crazy stunts and stuff like that it w- it felt fresh because of all the humor that was injected into that scene yeah, uh, and also I always wonder, because definitely Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise come up with their elaborate set pieces, what they want to do, action sequences, and then do them, and then we'll worry about the, the story later. And in true Mission Impossible form, which seems contrary to good sense for other movies, they shoot all their big stunts first, because Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie's thinking is, well, if I make it, then we have a movie, but if not, we don't have to go through with the rest of it. Morbid, but appeals to my sense of practicality. And I was talking (laughs) with Brian this morning about how that's going to kind of be the way that Tom Cruise goes, right? You know what I'm saying? Tom Cruise will go one day in a stunt and it's kind of going to be the way that he wants it to go down. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how you do. Quentin Tarantino realizes that it's better to burn out than fade away or whatever. He's going to do his 10 movies and be done. And Tom Cruise cannot die not in service of one of his movies. He is a servant of the cinema. But you were saying the the humor in the scene. The point is that they made a way to make the jump more rounded and I, and more fun, I agree, and just better all around than just like he's going to run and jump off the cliff without first yelling at Benji and Benji's like cringe knowing like he's he put him in exactly that position and just expects <laughs> that he will jump off the cliff and jump out of windows and do all this crazy stuff. And that's the moment that Benji chooses to be selfish. 
where he's yeah. like, I'm under a lot of pressure right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> he's the navigator, and so, and you have to navigate based on his navigation. Unless he's been taken over by AI. Unless his voice has been commandeered and an artificial Benji voice is now directing you. Right. And I did think that the entity was going to humanize or personify much more than it did. And maybe we're saving that for Dead Reckoning Part 2. I'm just saying don't be surprised, people. And um, Tom Cruise, Christopher McQuarrie, no strangers to sci-fi. That said, the entity did kind of drop off in favor of a traditional, well, no, not traditional, <laughs> but in terms of parachute jumping and train fights and action sequences and stuff that were decidedly analog and didn't have the electronic lawnmower man style kind of finale that I kind of expected. And again, maybe that's coming, but uh, we didn't focus too much on the, the entity. Yeah, there really is nothing more analog than Runaway Train. The Hogwarts Express was like the loudest train in movie history. So who killed the conductor guy and like tied his body to the whistle? We saw this in thundering IMAX. It's like, shut up. Yeah, it was Gabriel. Gabriel went in and like messed up the engineer's quarters. He like broke the brakes and then he tied up one of those engineer types to the train whistle. <sighs> just to be annoying. I was thinking it was kind of more like he was just imitating signs of life. Like the conductors would normally be pulling the whistle every now and then. You know that this was still being run by humans. I don't know. Yeah, we grew up like half a dozen blocks from the train tracks in Torrance. And they would come through at all hours of the night. And we would know it because they would blow that damn whistle. Can you imagine living right there? Why do you have to blow the whistle all night long? I think it's the train version of the buses must stop at tracks rule. Yeah, you know, they have can't to stop. blow the whistle whenever they go through an intersection or something. Man, which also happens to be residential areas. You know what freaks me out? What? Gabriel, I thought, was a really good villain. He was also a villain in Ozark. Do you know mm. who Isai Morales stepped in for? Who the original Gabriel was? No, who? Your boy. Which one? Nicholas Holt. What? I can't picture it. I can't either. It's a little bit weird. But he's so small and young, it feels like. He feels young. And at least in this movie, like you had the double old fight. It was Ethan and Bob up top fighting with knives and stuff, which is also very analog. Ethan and Bob. There it is. You don't know who Gabriel is. The legendary Isai Morales. <gasps> no. Uh-huh. He's Lou Diamond Phillips' older brother? Yep. He was waiting, I was waiting for him to do the Dracula thing. <laughs> In the home video? Yeah. <laughs> We're talking, of course, about Isai Morales, who played Bob in La Bamba, a review available now at orwhenevermovies.com. He plays Richie Valens' older, wayward brother, who just can't get it together, but is so lovable. <laughs> wow. Look at that. Isai Morales. I knew I knew him from somewhere. I thought he had a nice little salt and peppery, distinguished kind of creepy thing going on. I liked when he was double crossed when he like ha he made his dramatic exit on the flatbed truck and then did a Goonie style Ethan yell. Yep. Where he's like, Ethan, you Goonie. And he was all pissed off. He did a great job. But who was Briggs? Who was who? Who did Briggs and Degas represent? I'm talking about the the Shea Wingham and Greg Tarzan Davis characters. Like they just kept popping up and they just kept on chasing and they were all tenacious and stuff. But why were they so bad and who were they? 
I think they were a play on Tay Diggs and Nikki Cat from The Way of the Gun. Nobody knows what we're talking about. I don't know. They were just agents that were around, and we needed them for exposition. And Tom Cruise, like, Coyote's hanging all off him, and he's like, I got to put this kid in the movie. Can we, what do we got? Let's do something. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But they weren't in the Entity Summit, so they're obviously not major players. Did they work for Kittredge or did they work for Kirby? I think they worked for Kittredge, who also kept popping up. I, I really liked it when the other dude, who was super familiar, the dude that was chasing him around the most with the funny face, who looks like Patton Oswalt, uh, when he tugged at Kittredge's face to check to make sure he wasn't a mask, <laughs> I thought that was great. They did it a couple of times, uh, and, and we know exactly what's happening, but it's funny every time. It really is. It's pretty funny. It works. I admire their ability to keep us guessing in terms of the mask because I fully thought the creepy first dude who uh, showed up to the IMF summit and then like smoke bombed the place. I thought he was a robot. They kept talking about the entity being this entity and he kept walking like directly through IMF. And I was like, that dude's a robot. And then it was Hunt. It was definitely Hunt. But why didn't they why was no one suspicious of the creepy guy? leering and lurking around in the background you got me they're really bad they're agent they're like desk agents it's not the same thing is carrie elwes a new addition to the mission impossible franchise he is we just needed another imf upper echelon type dude who could die although it seemed like he was on the verge of betraying too although that could have been like a ruse like his character because i felt like the denlinger character was kind of um you know, he's capable and he's like t- the top security dog or whatever, but like also just a kind of little bumbly. Yeah. Was there he are bum- definitely was producers I've worked with who've never produced a thing in their lives. I don't know how they ascended to those positions. Like they don't know how to use Avid. They don't know how to do anything. They don't have good instincts. They just, it's like, I like to watch TV. And so through nepotism, I got a job and I can make TV if you make it for me. And then I tell you what to change. Uh, that seems like how the Carrie Elwes character ascended to the top of the IMF. <laughs> He's like the director of intelligence, not greatly intelligent. Yeah. He always kind of has this like ironic, I have a secret look and presence about him. But maybe that's good in a sense where we are blurring the lines between good and bad. Like, is Kittredge good or is he bad? Uh, well, he always he had good intentions, but he m- could have been bad because we thought maybe he was the mole in part one. I never doubted him for a second here because they wouldn't have brought him back just to make him bad after like decades. Well, the Kittredge character, I guess you can trust to behave in a way that you expect him to behave. So in that sense, I guess he's safe, even though he seems kind of double crossy. The Vanessa Kirby character has always been kind of confusing to me. Yes, the internal team is kind of untouchable. I was vaguely afraid that the Luther character, that this was going to be his last episode because he had that nice moment with Ethan Hunt where he was delivering. He was the source of wisdom. You know, it's very unusual for main characters to not be the people connecting the dots. And for them, for the filmmakers to give Luther that moment where he's telling, he's explaining a blind spot to Ethan Hunt saying, you know, the entity expects you to either kill Gabriel or die. That was a really nice moment for the Luther character. And a big moment 
in terms of story dynamics. And I was like, oh, no. Really nice. Made you terrified they were going to kill him. Exactly. And then, of course, Ilsa and (laughs) Ethan have to have their nice little moment on Venice. No. I refuse. What? It's Luther also got to shoot a gun. I don't think he's ever fired a gun in, in the franchise, with the exception of the trackball guns in 3 when they're trying to get the other, uh, Agent Ferris out, uh, where they're blowing up that German building. But uh, yeah, Luther got to shoot in this Mission Impossible. Okay, speaking of guns, I have a real bone to pick with this movie. Why does no one show up to the Venice Bridge scene or to the Venice Alley scene with guns? Because the maybe the entity could track smart guns or something or jam weapons. This is what I expected it to be at every turn. Anything electronic, it would be the entity would be in the system and gumming, gumming up the works. I don't know. It's just it's, it's a thing. And I'll tell you why. It's because I cannot accept and I refuse to accept. And I'm sorry if this is a spoiler. I promise I haven't checked the cast list for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2. There's no way Ilsa's dead. I understand in these movies, people die and you can't be precious about the characters, but I I simply cannot accept that she's dead. I think a knife in the shoulder isn't enough to take down one of the best agents in MI6. That was heart adjacent for sure. He's telling her, stay dead, stay gone, stay away. That was the perfect opportunity where he said, yeah, I can go in there and I don't have to worry about any of you other people. That's exactly what he did. He got her out of the way because she was too hurt to argue with him in this case. Uh, Mantis got stabbed in exactly the same place and she mustered enough strength to save them from the train. And Mantis still has a pulse at the end. If Ilsa could die and Mantis could hop up and save a bunch of people and then still not die, unacceptable. So you know that denial is one of the many stages of grief. I get it. I just cannot see that they would send her out. She didn't have to be on the bridge. And her her end was so unceremonious and so abrupt. It was completely bizarre to me. And the fact that nothing was ever like... There was no tenderness between him and Grace, between Ethan and Grace, like there was between him and Faust. And for them to set her up so much to save her in the beginning of the movie so thoroughly, where she also fake died, I think was kind of leading. I'm telling you, man, she's either going to come back to like fully to life and be like, like a secret special reveal or whatever. And you're like, she's alive or she's going to become the housing for the entity in like a Marvel vision style kind of thing where she's imbued with the like mummy resurrecting powers and she becomes the, <laughs> the AI used for good. All of your wild theories, your grand scheming. It all ties together. This is Tom Cruise, Christopher McQuarrie's world. The idea that the evil would go into her and she would spin it into something good is not without precedence. What happened to Tom Cruise in The Mummy, I'm sorry, spoiler, he learned how to ride and navigate sandstorms from Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol and The Mummy. So we knew that he was in his element there. He knows what he's doing. Christopher McQuarrie knows what he's doing. And I'm telling you, they're not going to let the Ilsa Faust go out like that. I guess we'll see in like three years. No, honestly, it was set to release around this time next summer. And now SAG-AFTRA striking, which I support in theory. Let's keep the movies rolling, people, literally. You know, we support the writer's strike. It's why we're here for Christopher McQuarrie Month. But it looks like it may further delay. Because it's not like this was a Stanley Kubrick-style longest shoot ever. They had to stop a bunch of times. COVID, injuries. Yeah, 
Did you watch all six Mission Impossible films? Totally did. Track. We we created spreadsheets about uh, the the proximity of his starting point for the runs to the goals, so we can see how he slows down over time with age. This is look at this is also post ankle break from Fallout. He's kind of running slower, right? Um, it didn't seem like it to me. Whether his run is slowing down, his movies certainly aren't. And would you say that the Mission Impossible movies progressively up the ante? Well. What's worse? Is it nuclear annihilation and basically saving the world from nuclear warheads? Or is it worse if the world stays alive, but is totally manipulated and controlled by an AI entity? I mean, there's only so many ways to end the world and so many MacGuffins. I'm talking about, is there progression? Because you have a very unique perspective. Is there progression from Mission Impossible 1 to 6? I think that they go hard as hard as they possibly can and grand scale each time they do it the nuclear weapons weren't world annihilation where i guess the permeation of a, of a bad ai would be more globally devastating so maybe this is the biggest one and in terms of the stunts and the set pieces i mean there are some that were my favorite and there are some that i think for all the effort tom cruise goes through don't translate very well on screen. I think the the bike jump was great, but he's also a little dude that could frankly be computer pixels. Did he have to actually jump off the cliff? No, you could have easily faked that as he's done multiple parachute jumps in other movies. The unsung heroes of those stunts, by the way, the camera people. And and drones, and they've got that all covered and he did it like six times, that jump off the thing. The point I'm making is that the stunts, to me, translate in terms of efficacy, and I think that the car chase was far and away the best part of Rogue Nation, of Fallout, and of this one. Um, as mm. long as that fiat gag uh, lasted, a little bit too long in the doing donuts around the, the, the fountain or whatever, that gag was the only thing that made Kelly Ray laugh in Dead Reckoning. But the chase itself was great. The steering wheel definitely elicited a barky laugh from Brian. (laughs) But they were driving practical cars. Tom Cruise did have to drive with his hand handcuffed with the with the one hand and stuff. The Fiat has a super narrow wheelbase and over cobblestone streets. So it was very unsafe. Uh, They didn't have the doors when they were in the BMW. There were a couple of clear times they used the cameras mounted outside of the actual vehicles they were in. So it wasn't yeah. the CGI like back, like uh, rear projection screen effect. And so those stunts that aren't really centerpieces, but are really long action sequences were the best for me. And this car chase, I think, was the best of the entire series. I agree that they were great, but I kind of think that the topper for Dead Reckoning was the train. Oh, Yeah. You mean the long, it was the longest train crash in the history of train crashes. But it was harrowing as they went from car to car. It it took longer for that train to crash than it did for the Titanic to sink. (laughs) It might not have been the most action packed, but it had breath. It was suspenseful. That was the time in the film where I was at the edge of my seat, which is quite a feat because, you know, at that point, after two hours and some odd 30 minutes, like you would expect that I would be pretty fatigued. Another good indication of where Ethan and Grace are in their relationship is he's like, I would give up my life for you and I'm going to do everything I can and make sure that you're a part of my IMF and you got to lure Kittredge in or whatever and have him recruit you. And then he's like in the train and he's trying to save her life. And he's like, do you trust me? And she's like, uh-uh. No. 
Come on, that didn't get a laugh out of Kelly Ray when he comes when he comes flying through the window, albeit a little conveniently. That didn't get a laugh. It didn't get a laugh, but those were obviously humorous moments. There's no shortage of humor in those scenes, which makes it good. So as the culmination of Christopher McQuarrie Month here at Or Whatever Movies, I also would like to end this episode, to wrap this episode up with how this is also the culmination, at least in part, of Christopher McQuarrie's collaboration with Tom Cruise. Is it? I mean, we've come to this point, and this is when they are in step, where they talked about this being such a collaborative process. They are now such a filmmaking team that the line is a little bit blurred. It's like the Coens or something. I think the directorial and producing duties are honorary titles. Not that Christopher McQuarrie doesn't do these things, because he does. And that's why he's the subject of our Christopher McQuarrie Month. But it's very collaborative not only between the two of them, but but amongst all the actors. They go in knowing where they have to get from A to B in a certain scene, but how they get there is kind of up for grabs. They are now in lockstep. They have Top Gun Maverick under their belts, in addition to half a dozen other films, and they're making decisions together as you know one of the most successful filmmaking teams in history. Is that what's happening? They are an entity now. And the best indication of how effective that is is how effective their movies are. There's not going to be any concern about part two, which was supposed to be Tom Cruise's ultimate Mission Impossible. He was supposed to be done. That's what he said. And then as of like a week ago, he was like, I hope to be making movies at the same level as Harrison Ford when I'm 80 years old. I want to be making Mission Impossibles when I'm 80. So that doesn't sound like retiring the franchise to me. And though tracking actually is a little soft for this box office, I think that studio executives in Paramount are pretty confident it's going to, quote, leg out and see a very happy worldwide release and beyond. So all good things for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, a worthy culmination for Christopher McQuarrie Month here at Or Whatever Movies. Wes, your final rating is? I gotta go totally on this one. I think that all the elements came together so that I never didn't have fun. There were a couple times when I was able to catch my breath. I didn't pee for three hours and I don't know when I would have without missing kind of a necessary component. I think that they sustained everything throughout so that it would be kind of hard to figure out what to trim out of this movie. It doesn't seem like they trimmed anything, but I had fun and it's exactly what I wanted and frankly kind of the same thing that I got for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, just done in high Tom Cruise style with him and Christopher McQuarrie at the top of their games. I have really no complaints. I do think that if Ilsa Faust is dead, that's just unacceptable to me, that they should rename this movie Mission Impossible Grave Error Part 1. Because that was, and I had, it, it would be such a misstep for that to be her end in this franchise, in this movie, as it was presented. That would be the film's biggest drawback. I just don't think it is. And time and part two will tell. And that's our discussion on Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. You got a totally from Wes. And you got a good from Iris. Check out Christopher McQuarrie Month, including Mission Impossible Fallout, The Usual Suspects. The Way of the Gun, and The Mummy. Or whatevermovies.com or wherever you get podcasts. 818-835-0473 is our hotline. Or whatevermovies at gmail.com is our email address. And thanks for listening. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement. Inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. 
I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on ElectroCast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. ElectroCast. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric acid. 